0: When I've been doing a lot of workshops and to talk to a lot of marketers, what I have discovered: a lot of marketer has been going back and forth between sales and marketing. That doesn't mean they become salesperson. Welcome to
1: the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host Dots Oyobulu as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.
2: Hi marketers, this is Dots and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here, Is Pam Dina, sales enablement, content marketing keynote speaker and workshop coach, at relentless pursuit. He is also one of the top marketing thought leaders in the world, according to many rankings online. And we will be talking about the dos and don'ts of account-based marketing. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Welcome, Pam. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, I'm so excited having you today. It's been a dream of mine. And yeah, let's just get into it. Do you want to tell us more about yourself, your background, your role, and how did you get to where you are right now in terms of your career?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, my life in 30 seconds. It's a twist of fate. I was actually an accountant and working on the finance and accounting side years ago. And I worked for a company that actually encouraged people to move around. So from there, I moved to operations, product development, and the one way or another, one of my managers that worked for a long period of time actually moved to marketing operations, and he asked me to join him. So from there, I did marketing operations, which is the back end. And then event marketing, we just did a lot of events. And then somehow I ended up taking on the strategy role for the enterprise or the B2B marketing for the company. And that turned out to be a fantastic job. I learned so much by working with different marketing functions and also the direct sales force and the indirect sales force, such as the channel partners. So that was wonderful. So like I said, it's kind of like a twist of fate. I was not what I call it the pure breed of marketers. It was actually came from a different background.
2: Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I also think, in retrospect, being in finance has helped your career, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, it actually helped tremendously, honestly, because I didn't come directly only from the marketing route, and I had different jobs. So it helped me to understand, for example, budget management. And in the operations roles, it helped me tremendously in terms of project management. And also, I was in the product side, so I kind of know the product development part of it. So when I started working with the sales and as a marketer, and I kind of know how everything tied together, and that was a huge benefit by having a different jobs. No, that's, I 100% agree with you. I do encourage people that if you actually have a chance to take on different jobs within the company, you should give it a try and get yourself out of the comfort zone.
2: Absolutely. And I would like you to give us one more advice there for some of us listening. I have started reading your book, Effective Sales Enablement. I think it's great. I personally think I need to start like a campaign in changing the mindset of marketers who want to work in silos and don't want to work with sales. So what can you tell those people in terms of the benefits of collaborating with sales from a marketer's perspective? Like, I think we all need to have a change of mindset, and I don't know what you think about that. So,
0: Dodds, I think you brought a very good point, and you mentioned something about change the mindset, and that is so true, especially in the current environment. And I know a lot of people got laid off, okay? And I also know that the company is really looking to their bottom line. And a lot of time, when the companies want to lay people off, the first department, they usually take the action. is usually marketing department, unfortunately. And that has a lot to do, and in reality, it's very hard to demonstrate the marketing's ROI. That's because a lot of time we focus on the top of the funnel. We try to build awareness. We try to build a brain equity. And it's very hard to quantify that. And by the way, I think that is very important. But you also need to allocate a portion of your budget working directly with sales team and see if you can bring some of your contribution and your impact a little bit down to the bottom of the funnel to show your management that marketing can actually support sales and make an impact and a difference. And that is another way to showcase what marketing can do and also demonstrate marketing's contribution to a sales and the bottom line. So from my perspective, doing marketing as the top of the funnel is good. But at a certain point, you should also allocate a budget to help the sales and work with sales directly to showcase what you can do for them. And that them talk about what marketing can do for them can actually help you to demonstrate what you can do and help the company's bottom line.
2: Yeah. Guys, if you're listening, you're hearing from the sales enablement expert, and I cannot agree more. You have to create the loop between top and bottom funnel because you are part of the company. To call yourself a growth marketer, the word growth really is revenue. You cannot just call yourself a growth marketer. I agree. And I also think, I don't know what you think about that. If I become okay, a group marketer for real, I'm creating this project for sales, I'm working on both panels. I think it also helps with career preservation, don't you think? If they're going to lay people off, I may not be considered because I am involved in the bottom line. And this will not be the last nail by the way, in our lifetime. So what do you think about that?
0: Another thing I agree with you in terms of that in the current environment, especially it's very important to think any kind of marketing campaigns that you do Think twice in terms of how does that impact the sales side? How does that impact the conversions? Does that increase opportunities for the sales team? Another thing I would like to kind of share with everyone, and that's kind of hinted on that, is there's also different jobs between sales and marketing. And when I've been doing a lot of workshops and to talk to a lot of marketers, what I have discovered, a lot of marketers has been going back and forth between sales and marketing. That doesn't mean they become salesperson. More or less, there's a different marketing function with the inside the sales team as well. Like they have an inside sales that doing similar kind of demand gen type of work. They also have a sales enablement. They also have a sales ops that very similar to marketing ops. And within the marketing side, I think the demand gen if you can actually move around to do a different job within the marketing operation, that's actually good as well. For example, email marketing, maybe you can try partner marketing or you can try something else. If you can have opportunity to move around, that will help you not to be in silo.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now to the episode proper account based marketing. And that's, as you all know, it's customized account-specific marketing campaigns for revenue new generation.
0: Hi, Glennie. That is a very good definition. Account-based marketing is account-specific type of marketing outreach. Yes, you got it.
2: Exactly. And I know a lot of people know that it's a buzzword these days, just like with many other buzzwords. But my fear is that, Pam, many people first don't know how to do this at scale. And I see that that's something that you're very good at. So how does that work?
0: All right, so Darcy is asking about scalability. And that's actually the fundamental holy grail of all the marketing, especially in the digital side. It's what all the marketings that we do, if we want to have a bigger reach, you have to somehow scale your communication to some extent. And account-based marketing is nothing new, by the way. If you are working directly with the sales for a long period of time, you probably already do some stored of account-based marketing. And for example, the salespeople will say, hey, can we actually have a sports event? Can we invite our customers to Blue Jays, a sports event, or you have some sort of a dinner invitation only event? You only invite specific accounts to that event or to that dinner. That is a form of account-based marketing. Okay, so I want to make sure everybody understand, account-based marketing is now, oh my God, something new and I have never done it before. If you supported sales in the past, you probably have done account-based related type of marketing activities for them. In a big enterprise that the people that have done kind of like invitation only, more customized account-specific type of event tend to be field marketing. So there is a field marketing within the enterprise that usually work directly with the salespeople and support them, basically any kind of marketing outreach. So number one thing I want everybody to understand, you have done it, but it's very hard to scale because you focus on one or two account and the invitation only type of events. So it's very hard to scale. And the question is, how do we scale that? The way to scale it, you have to think through in terms of, what are the companies or the accounts you want to go after? And that's number one, very important. You have to think it through in terms of what are the accounts and also the other industry you want to go after, right? And that involved working directly with the salespeople. The so number one step is you need to determine accounts. And that accounts needs to be communicated and get a buy-in from the sales team. So that's number one. That is very important. And number two, another thing that was quite important is you have to have a process. And in order to scale in any digital marketing effort nowadays, you have to set up a process. What we are doing right now with Brian, hello, you are a producer, and doing this recording. Brian already have a process that's set up like in terms of what's happening, what's the intro, and how to build the flow to minimize post-production activities. And that was a lot of work for Brian, but he did it. A process that has been set up to scale, you have to do something similar for IBM as well. Process critical in order to scale.
2: That's awesome. And of course, if you're listening, don't forget the buying side of things. Like we have to have a shared vision. It's kind of what it looks like here. It's not just silos. I know I'm drumming the dead horse, sounded like a broken record here, but. The buying has to work and it's, aside from the mindset, I was also asked to documented or ingrained or integrated into this system that is being developed. So, and for it to scale again, it's about the system and there is a sweet spot in systemizing something and still making it work as it should. Because sometimes, Pam, you probably know this, people systemize things without personalization. And, and so on and so forth. So systemizing is not just systemizing for the sake of it, it's systemizing to a great personal extent, because you are dealing with account specifics. You are dealing with initiatives. I love what you said, Pam, about field marketing. I've not heard that in a, in a while. So that's another thing you guys need to learn about. That's so great. Let's get into strategy. I love strategy and I would like us to look at how to make a sustainable ABM strategy. And when it comes to your playbook, what do you think are the pros and cons, or in this case, the do's and don'ts, when it comes to developing a strategy that is scalable?
0: So there are two questions I need to answer. Number one is, what are some of the elements in terms of setting up the strategy? And the other one is, once a strategy is set up, what are the do's and don'ts? Okay, very good questions. I 100% agree that you need to have a plan when you do ABM. Okay. And you call that strategy, you call that plan, whatever you want, but you need to have a plan. You have this strategy. Earlier, I talked about it's very important to get a buy in from the sales team. And that buy in includes one very important element. That element should be incorporated as a part of strategy. It's called objectives and also success metrics. No matter what you do in terms of your strategy or your plan, you need to identify the key objective that you want to accomplish. The key objective may be as simple as win back. There's 200 account has been dormant in the past one year. They have not talked to us, they have not engaged with us. Can we do a win back campaign for these 200 dormant accounts and we do a very customized targeted outreach to them and to actually gauge if they have any interest in talking to us. So your objective can be as simple as create a win-back campaigns or outreach for 200 dormant accounts who have not engaged with us in the past one year. Okay? So that can be objective, right? So that's very clear. And when I'm talking about objective, it's not like achieve 35 million revenue.
2: Yeah, Yeah, because people are always scared of objectives.
0: That's really abstract. When you create objective for ABM, you have to bring it one level down. What are the things you want to very much accomplish for your ABM campaigns? Make that very clear, right? It's win back, 200 domain account. Cool. Then what's the success metrics? The success metrics can be like out of the 200 accounts, we want 20 accounts, 20 accounts to express interest, to talk to sales that makes sense? All of a sudden, you have a very structured, in terms of what you want to accomplish for your ABM campaigns. Reach 200 dormant accounts, 20 accounts get back to us. Right, so in your strategy, any strategy you have to set up is very important. Objectives identified, success metrics identified. Once you have these two clearly identified, your strategy, will flow naturally because all of a sudden you were like, okay, should I do email marketing? Should I do media? Should I invite them to our customer event? So now you start thinking because you have a different marketing channels you can use to reach out to them. Then use that to have a conversation with your sales team. Then you can determine what is the specific outreach that you will do. Once you determine that, you can determine the process or well, that's what you say, systematic approach, what you want to set up to do that, to make it happen. Well, that is the do's. What I'm telling you, everything it's do's. Your objectives, your success metrics, determine the outreach, tactics, and the channel you want to use, then set up a process. That's the do's. The don't is don't do it unless you have budgets and resources. One thing I want to tell everybody, ABM is expensive. They are not cheap. They are not. right? It involves you, thoughts, your time, my time to actually go search the 200 to make sure all those 200 dormant accounts, all the data is actually current. That requires data cleansing, data enrichment. At the same time, you need to buy tools. It can't be existing tools, but it may not be, and then you have to test it to make sure it actually works. ABN is time-consuming. That's the reality, and it costs money. Don't do it unless you have budgets and resources. Really? you're just going to create yourself headache, and you can't deliver what you want to deliver. Think about it first and also do it in the way that is supposed to get done with a budget in mind. And then the second things don't do is don't rush. It takes time. Anything in digital nowadays, it takes time to build. I'm gonna use a perfect example. Brian, I love you, I'm gonna use your example. Brian's the producer, he's behind the scenes, hi Brian. Brian. So Brian created the opening, very nice opening with nice visuals, and with dots look like this, with Pam and the two circle. Do you think that just come like in 30 seconds? No, it took Brian quite a bit of time to set it up, to scale. So imagine 100X of that kind of effort for ABM. It takes several months. So make sure you understand the reality of it. And that's very important.
2: Honestly, I've been thinking a lot about sales enablement and ABM as I continue to run this podcast and run my published articles and things like that. And if you're not following me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I was thinking the first thing you said then. So if you're listening to this episode right now, please. Win back campaigns are no hanging fruit, Okay. I had an experience with a win back campaign back. So hard
0: world. to do it right.
2: We had the strategy, we followed all the steps that Pam had mentioned. We bought a tool, an email marketing tool for I think $3,000. And we were making a million dollars every quarter from the campaign. Every time we said the win campaign, this is an investment bank. Yeah. Every time we said the win campaign, we had $1 million in extra deposits. Yeah. Into investments each time, every quarter. Leadership was. Oh, really? Wow! Now they started to see marketing, the marketing department, as a department that they shouldn't fire. For
1: example,
2: right? So, please, if you are listening right now, stop whatever you are doing. Check if you have a win back campaign in place, and if you don't, start immediately. You can pause this, but check that. I continue.
0: (laughs) Bit of a process, and
2: yeah, you start a process and get it done because. Pam, I told you, win-back campaigns are still the most underrated <laughs> in the B2B world. A lot of people don't do it. They're just leaving money on yeah, the table. Yeah, that's
0: because it's a lot of work. You have to find out the accounts. You have to identify the data. You have to make sure data is clean. And then you have to set up this process, kind of like a sequential email. And you have to make sure content is right, is relevant. It is work.
2: Yeah, and you have to know which contact brought in what revenue. If you're working with a big organization, there's most likely that there's someone that is digital transformation unit, work with them to get it done. That was my experience. I had someone in digital transformation that helped me in tying revenue to users. So we knew the contacts that brought in the revenue. You get what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's not the second one. You said the, the don'ts there. they don't say like, I think this is speaking to marketing leaders, please focus on ABM campaigns, have a project in place for ABM campaigns. I think what happens sometimes, Pam, with many organizations, big or small, is that they run a campaign, spray and pray, right? No strategy, no objective. Oh, let's do brand awareness, run that campaign. And then after three months, they're like, oh my God, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have done this because there is no result. And then people start to react in the way that they shouldn't react. Yeah. Now, I think leaders should be willing to approve initiatives that are based on ABM, knowing that ABM is resource based. You need to invest in it. Yeah. You need to also manage expectations. Yep. In terms of
0: timeline. I 100% agree. Yeah.
2: Exactly. You know, like Pam said, it takes months sometimes. From my experience, it was run every quarter. So that means we have to run this. Highly planned ABM strategies once in three months. That's four times a year. Four million dollars in revenue. It's, the ROI is huge, fam. Like even with the whole expense, the ROI, you cannot just quantify it. So sometimes when you think you're spending too much, look at the potential ROI. Because right now we are in the world of lifetime value. Everybody is doing everything they can to get as much as possible from pockets of corporations if it's B2B or the B2C consumers. So there is infinite revenue that a loyal customer can give you. And by investing in programs such as that, whether it's to new customers or existing customers, I think it will be worth the effort. I know we've spent a couple of time on this, but I will say personally that this is the meat of the episode. If there's anything that you guys need to take away from this, It's really all that we've discussed here in terms of having an ABM strategy that works and just scaling and iterating and creating the commercial value, which is really our goal at this podcast. So moving on here, Pam, my God tells me that when it comes to, again, the aspects of the sales enablement side of ABM, I think that without sales enablement, ABM cannot work in the way it should. And I think we've talked about buying before now. So let's dive deep into what you said there with investments. What are the kinds of investments you think companies should make to make ABM work? What are the kinds of investments that we should also afford? Yes, I know we need to invest. We don't want to invest blindly as well. So what do you think about investing in ABM? And what are the kind of investments that you think companies should focus on?
0: In terms of AVM, there are a couple, from my perspective, and I want to share with you in terms of what kind of platform, not platform specifically, I'm not talking about the vendor's names, is more or less to think through how you should think through in terms of the technology and the platform that you will need. The number one thing from my perspective is very important is the integrity and also the quality of the data. So if you want to do ABM, you obviously have to pull information from CIM. Yeah, you have to think through that, have your salespeople actually enter the current information into a CIM. So has the CIM been constantly being updated and with the information? Like, for example, if you identify 200 dormant accounts, obviously those are the people have not engaged with us. And. If the salespeople are entering the information on a regular basis, you kind of know who are the 200 accounts have not talked to our salespeople. But if the salespeople don't have that tendency of entering the information into a CIM, then you will not get the accurate data in terms of if they are engaging with us or not engaging with us. Maybe they have talked to us yesterday, but they never entered the information. So you treat them as a doorman account. So we'll have to kind of take into account in terms of how accurate the CIM data is, that's number one. Let's assume the data is very accurate, okay, which is great. Yay! Everybody lives here ever.
2: That's a big leap, actually.
0: But that doesn't mean the information is accurate because there's a data decay. Every single quarter, people switch jobs and the people on to different things or leave the company. So you actually need to validate. You need to use a third-party data information to validate your contact information. That's the big one. A lot of people tend to skip that step. So that's number two. In addition to validating the accuracy of the email information, most importantly is the first name, last name, email. That's just take that into account, and also the company names, right? They still there with the title. So you have to use third-party information to validate that. Another thing is data enrichment which is, can you also use other information to actually enrich the current contact information you have that provide additional insight? So now I just mentioned about two or three tools that you need to use. What other tool you should use to validate the data and also check the accuracy of your customer data, right? That's number one. I think that's very important. A lot of that tend to get skipped because it's mundane, it's boring, okay? It doesn't show any value right away. But that part is super critical. Then once that's done, you have to think about for your ABM campaigns, what type of tactics you're going to use. Are you going to do pay media? Are you going to do email marketing outreach? You're going to do a combination of both. So you're going to do a pay media and then you're going to do an email follow-up, right? So once you determine what is the outreach that you want to do, then you can determine, okay, do I have the tools to do that? Is that helpful? People have email marketing. We do email marketing all the time. So you might have readily available tools to do that. But again, now you have information in the CIM. Then you have an email marketing automation tool. But how do you move the information to the CIM so you can actually run email campaign? Well, how do you export that information to the paid media agency to actually do your banner ad? So you have to think it through in terms of what are the tools you will need to use and the best way to do it is you have to think like workflow. How your customer data is going to flow and based on the marketing tactics that you want to do. Does that make sense? So I'm not here to make a suggestions in terms of what vendor you should use. It's more or less, how can you clean up your data? That's number one. And the second thing is, what is your ABM tactics and campaigns generally you going to use? And how would that flow? And then once you have that with a sense of a clarity, you can identify a platform in no time.
2: It's great the way you sort of broke it down. And I like what you said in terms of the audiences. Like, for example, you are dealing with B2B lists of contacts that are you know, in the same company or have left the company, like that. So basically, you are creating little segments within this campaign. Those who still remain in the company, those who have left the company, you know, creating segments that might be consequential to the campaign in the long run. So when it comes to choosing the right account, what are your recommendations on to go about that? In terms of the thought process, how should we think about segmenting accounts? An example there, of those contacts in the same company, contacts that have exited the company, in some ABM cases, that may not be relevant. It yeah. might be a different type of segmentation. You know, there's a bit of psychographics involved, so on and so forth. But so what do you think, basically the general rules in terms of thinking about the strategy of segmenting accounts, how best to choose right.
0: Yeah. So there are many ways to segment accounts. Many. And the one that's most common tend to be by industries and by vertical. Healthcare versus fintech versus manufacturing segments. Right. And so company, you can easily identify which segment they belong to. So that's one. The other one to segment tend to be on revenue or company size, right? You have to think through that if you want to go for the accounts, you can put the similar accounts by industry, or you can put similar account buckets by revenue. The other one you can do is a similar account in terms of the challenges they encounter.
2: Yeah, I was waiting for that job to be done. You are an expert.
0: Yeah, there are many ways to actually do segmentation or uh, multiple different kinds of segmentation. Or you can even do by region, the healthcare in the U.S. Or the CIO of company size 1 to 5,000 with a revenue over 500 million in the U.S. There is multiple ways to do segmentation. The most important thing is you have to create segmentation that the salespeople are familiar with. And that's another thing. It's not something that you are familiar with or how you want to deal with it as a marketing guy, because most people, the way I've been working with sales for a long period of time, even though I'm not a salesperson, I'm more support enabling. And a lot of time they think about the way they segment by the account. It's really by industry and also by revenue. And sometimes it's really by the region. And the fourth is by products like based on what kind of products they are selling, and they will segment based on that as well. So I would consult your salespeople to make a decision in terms of what's the best way to segment. But before you talk to them, you need to have a point of view. You cannot go there and say, hey, how should we segment? You are going to lose respect from salespeople. you basically basically going there and you have done your homework You're saying, these are the five ways I think we should segment. What do you think? Give them something so they can react. And that's the best way to engage with the salespeople. Have a point of view and also have a recommendation.
2: Yeah, have a point of view. That's an important point. I have another point I would also like to comment on. So the first point there, having a point of view, is not just good for marketers, but all professionals in general. Whether it's in the creative side or... In the non-creative side, you should be able to have a point of view. You should be able to have constructive conversations that guides people. Even in the brainstorming process, there's a bit of a system. There is effective communication. Don't just go to sales and say, how can we do this without bringing okay. some context?
0: do you even ask the question. You have to go talk to sales with recommendations,
2: period. Exactly. Like, and that's the way I roll. A lot of people do not do that. And I think back to the mindset, I think we need to have that mindset. It's a lot of work. Uh, like, we are suggesting a lot of things in this episode that seems like a lot of work. Uh, data integrity and stuff like that.
0: I don't want to kind of put a little soft touch to it. Digital marketing is a lot of work. Acknowledge it. And also educate your management about that. They feel like everything can be generated within 30 seconds. Not gonna happen. You need to tell your management it's worked. There's nothing wrong with that. Say it loud, say it proud.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because when it's done right, the results would amaze you. And I think that's really the premise of taking all the steps, taking all the processes that you know Pam had just outlined looking at the methods, or how you think about it, you know, what are the channels and things like that. In terms of integration as well, I think marketers should invest in tech that integrates properly with the sales system. And if that is not available, that's fine. I've had a lot of experience in my career with small businesses that all they have is an Excel sheet. Yeah, let's work with it. Exactly. Exactly. Work with what you have. It's not one-to-one, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, Really following the process and having that integrity. Yeah. That was the second thing I was going to say about that. These are some of the things that throughout my career, I will continue to flog and ask people to sometimes when you're working with data, what you see is not palatable and sometimes you need to wait to make sure it's right. But don't just assume, don't just overestimate and don't lie with data. The integrity is so important because if any part is not done correctly, it may not just work, you know? So I just wanted to add that to what Pam said there. And this is beautiful so far. (laughs) And I think before we finish, there's something I want us to chat about, the tech side of things, which I was just mentioning before. While I was researching about you and your book, you mentioned something about one to few and one to many outreach. Number one, what does that mean? And how do we use that with technology?
0: So in the ABM, initially, when people are looking at ABM, like I said, ABM is not like a new terminology. And a lot of marketers, if you have quoted sales, have done that. So in the past 20 years, a lot of ABM effort is more kind of events driven. So it's very much by account. So you have a strategic account that they bring a lot of revenue. So you usually have a lot of social activities or events that you actually kind of invite those accounts into the events, kind of keep that relationship going. And like I said, that's one-to-one and a one-to-few. And that in terms of the ABM. And so it's very hard to scale. And now they use ABM turn term in terms of that's do one too many, which is you can reach out to many accounts all at once, 100 doorman account, the win back campaigns, or you can do like 1000 accounts and segmented and then you identify what the industries are and then you make sure you creative, your content kind of tailored for that. When you know what their challenges are, and you kind of tailor your content for that. So again, the one-to-many is just another term in terms of if you want to do an ABM, but you really want to target the too-many accounts with a specific tailor message, and that you can do that. That's one-to-many type of example. But again, if you want to do it, like I said earlier, you need to set up a process and have the tools readily available to make it happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to add to that, when you're doing one too many and uh, creating the segments, it's also important to include that calls it the job to be done. We call it the potential needs of the customer. So somehow conceptualize that or define that and be able to group people based on that so that you are meeting them at the time of their needs, basically. I think it's something that sales also, you know, because sales, there's a lot of nurturing involved in sales. So sales do give marketing feedback on, oh, these clients are asking for this thing or they're asking for that thing. Would you want to incorporate that in your marketing? And that helps marketing to improve their communication or their ABM campaigns. So it's important to listen to sales in terms of feedback on future clients' needs, past clients' needs and current clients' needs. Next question here share in terms of the ABM tools, Feel free not to dive too deep into this. I always like podcast episodes to be conceptual based before tools. And I'm happy that you're doing that already, but just as a bonus, could you maybe recommend a couple of ABM tools out there or CRMs that have ABM functionality?
0: Yeah, Salesforce, and obviously it's always by default for a lot of enterprises. And that is in terms of a CIM tool. And like I said, depending on what you are doing specifically for your ABM, if you want to do one to many and that you want to use a pay media effort and demand base, which can be one of the platforms that you can use. There actually ABM, this specific term has been used by many companies, vendors, and there is one company they do a personalized gifting, which is you can enter the information. Your prospects' information, the social name, and they will crawl like a social media profile of that specific person and then come up with a recommendation for gifting. So you can provide a more tailored and personalized gift that salespeople can send it to them. So that can, as a conversation opener, if you will. So that tool is called Alice, A L Y C E, I think. And don't quote me on that. So that's if you can check on that. that I will say. so there are many tools out there and they say they can do ABMs. But again, the vendors created a platform based on what they think the ABM is. You need to have a flow and you need to your objectives. And then when you talk to vendors, you need to be able to brief the vendors well to explain to them what you want to do. And they happen to do a demo to you so you can determine if that actually fits your need. That's the most important thing, right? So I know Dawson's asking me to give you some names. That's not the most important. It's important in terms of getting to start thinking about it. But you need to have a sense of clarity what you want to accomplish. And you also need to have a sense of clarity in terms of how you want to flow it. Then once you have that information, then talk to different vendors and you get a sense of it and see if they can provide the support that you need. That's the most critical part.
2: And I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I think you need to know the the foundation in terms of the structure of how ABM typically works in your industry.
0: Yeah. And the, what's a step that you think you should take, right? Get that clear. And then you determine, then you interview vendors, have them do the demo, and then you determine which platform actually fits.
2: Yeah. That really, really makes sense there. In terms of KPIs... Everybody likes KPIs, even though everybody don't want to embrace it. But what are your top three KPIs for APM and why?
0: Okay. They are, number one is always, it depends, like your objective. Your objective is dormant. You want that dormant account. Then is the number of accounts that express interest to talk to sales. And it can also be a sales meeting set up, number of a sales meeting that has been scheduled. We can also tie with in terms of the opportunity or the pipeline opportunities in terms of what that is. But again, when you work with your salespeople, you identify the objectives. Then you need to determine and work with them to identify what are some of the KPI.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for the things that Palm had mentioned, if you're listening, also remember the averages between them. So what's the conversion rates between?
0: Averages, rate, yeah.
2: Very Exactly, the outreach and the meeting setup and the close rates and things like that. The counts is almost as important as the averages because at the end of the day, marketing in general is based on engagement. The engagement is the father of all KPIs and that's where the averages are important. The averages show the amount of engagement from a conversion rate perspective. Yeah, that's really great there. Pam, I wish I could go on talking to you, but time is spent. But I sincerely really enjoyed this. It's been revealing for me personally and for all our listeners. And this is just premium marketing wisdom. You know, the things that people charge to get. So where can our marketers find you? You know, if they need help, Becoming revenue creators.
0: Any social media channel will be great, and LinkedIn. Reach out to me directly if you have any specific question. I also have my own website, www.pmdinner.com, and there's a con- schedule poll and the contact information. You can reach out to me as well. Twitter, Facebook. I'm on every single one of them except TikTok. So, all right.
2: <laughs> You're a the <really> TikTok panel. Not
0: <laughs> oh, there yet.
2: Not there yet, exactly. Just to add to what Pam has said, Pam also has written a number of books. Please go onto our website and get a copy today. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. The next episode, connect the
1: Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.